use any modality that works for you and use it with love and it will heal. But if you use it without love, it may or may not heal. The healing quality of love is what makes healing happen because it connects with the person's physician within them. And when that happens, then healing can happen. Until that happens, there's no healing because that's part of life. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to our episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopst, and today's guest is Dr. Gladys McGarry. Dr. Gladys is 102 years old and is recognized as a pioneer of the allopathic and holistic medical movements. She is also a founding diplomat of the American Board of Holistic Medicine, the co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, and the co-founder of the Academy of Parapsychology and Medicine, and more. Today on the show, we discuss the six longevity secrets that have helped Dr. Gladys live to 102, and she also shares the wisdom and lessons she's learned from her own life and personal experiences that I think you will really relate to, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going, and welcome Dr. Gladys McGarry to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dr. Gladys, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'd love to jump right in. We're going to get into your six secrets for longevity and living a happier life. But what I'd love to know is you've lived for over 102 years. Looking back, what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned so far? That love is a great healer. Why do you say that? (laughs) Because it is. No, I'm saying it because you can use any modality that works for you and use it with love and it will heal. But if you use it without love, it may or may not heal. It's not the healing quality of love is what makes healing happen. And because it connects with the person's physician within them. And when that happens, then healing can happen. Until that happens, there's no healing because that's part of life. How has love been healing for you over the years? I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been. (laughs) My mother almost died when I was born and I had malarial hepatitis when I was two and so forth. I mean, there have been things that have, you know, life takes its path. And I've been blessed to have people who have loved me and worked with me enough that they've allowed me to heal so that I can go on and love people enough and work with them so that they can heal. I don't love the disease. I love the person who happens to have that disease. And we're going to get back to this because I think it's such an important topic. And thank you for just sharing what you just shared. And I know that this is one of your secrets is that love is the medicine. But you mentioned that you've you've gone through your fair your fair share of adversity. And the show is called The Adversity Advantage. So 
What is your view on adversity and other than love, what has helped you get through hard times? It depends on what I'm looking for. If, I, if I'm hurting and that's the most important thing in my life and I can hang on to that and keep on hanging on to that, I really don't move because I get stuck in it. But if, if I'm going through a hard place and I can recognize it as being a dark place or a hard place that I don't choose to stay in, then I begin looking for the light and the joy and the, or the actual, my, what I call my true humanity. And as I reach for that, I move out of the dark places. I move out of the place where I'm stuck because life itself if it gets stuck, it dies. Life can't keep on living if I don't breathe, if my heart doesn't pump, if my blood doesn't flow, if life has to keep moving in order to be, to sustain itself. And is that why one of your other longevity secrets is that all night, all life needs to move in, in different aspects. It's because of a, not just of a, a physical aspect, but an emotional and mental aspect as well. It's because life itself is energy and energy has to move. And if you try to stop energy, it'll die. You have to keep moving in order for the energy to move. Any, any plant that hits a place where it's stuck, it can either kind of bind up on itself or it just plain dies. And it's, it's the essence of our very being that is, I think, helping us to reach for the light. Like E.T. was reaching home, I think our inner essence wants to reach for the light. And, and if we allow it to, it will. I kind of have the mindset that says that when God created the earth and it was beautiful, everything was where it should be and life was beautiful. And then he created the human being and he said to us humans, now here, look at what I've done. And this, I, I now, you are the ones who have free will and choice, the only thing in this whole process that has free will and choice. So you therefore have dominion over this whole creation. And we in our arrogance thought he said dominance. So we thought, okay, we could take over and we took over and we decided to do what we wanted to, to Mother Earth and to the rest of the Earth. We thought it was our right. And that's not, that our true humanity does not accept that. Our true humanity accepts the fact, which I think is a fact, that we are here to protect and love the earth because it's our dominion, not our dominance that's given to us that we have here. Because we have choice and we have free will. What other creature on this earth has that? And in the same context of talking about movement and moving through emotional energy, mental energy, mental and emotional pain, I know one of the things that gets 
a lot of people stuck, it's definitely got me stuck, is worry and worrying about certain things. What's something that you worried about either in your, your 20s, your 30s, or 40s that you look back now and you wish you wouldn't have spent so much time you know, worrying about those things? Well, let me go back just a little farther because when I when I was I was born, born in India, lived in the jungles and all of that until I was six years old and then I started school. So life was perfect up until that time. But when I was started at school, I couldn't read, I couldn't add, I couldn't, I couldn't, figures would, wouldn't do anything they could. Nothing was known about dyslexia. So my teacher decided that I was the, the, the clown, stupid child. And so for two years, because I couldn't read, I didn't pass into the second grade. I had to repeat first grade. So I, I for two years, was the class dummy. So everybody thought I was. I was treated like that. And if I hadn't had my family at home, which I had an opportunity to go in, home and claim what I really knew I was, and then come back and get beaten down. But that scar of who I was followed me until my 90s. Because up until then, I was writing books, I was doing lectures, I was talking, all of that. But I had to, in order to really let that speech or that thing that I've written be put out there, I would, ha I would have somebody check it. Bill had to re read over what I had written, or I was always deferring to somebody else because my self-image was that I was, you know, this is the ambiguous pain that we get when we are someplace along the line and we don't even identify it. I didn't know that that was what was going on. I just knew that I just didn't feel right if I didn't have someone else check it and make sure that I had said the things the right things. But then I once I once I found my voice when I was ninety-three, <laughs> then I started being able to call it my these are what I'm saying. And I began to acknowledge instead of deny, because every time I deferred it to somebody else and basically I was denying it to myself. It's a long life. <laughs> and it took me a long time to get the, to the place where I could actually say, well, I could sign it and sign Gladys McGarry and yes. Why, why, what, what happened at 93? That I had a dream. You... Okay. Okay. I woke up one morning and in my, in, as I, in my waking up state, I was singing and I was laughing. And so I thought, oh, this, I knew it was a Sunday morning. And, and I, as I woke up, I knew it was a Sunday morning also in the, in the real world. So then I remembered the dream. And in this dream, I saw myself as nine-year-old nine Gladys in the jungles of North India. And I saw myself peeking out of our tent flap so that I would check on whether my youngest brother, my younger brother was there. Cause if he was there, he was going to 
tattle on what I was going to do, which I knew I was going to do, and singing anything but hymns or bhajans on a Sunday morning was against our rules in the family. We were not allowed to do that. So I knew I was in trouble if anybody heard me do what I was going to do. So nobody was around, and as fast as I could, I ran up my tree, up the, a mango tree outside of the tent, and I'm sitting up at the top of the tree, and I'm singing. I mean, I'm singing any old thing came into my mouth, caterpillar song or anything, just anything. But every so often, I look over my right shoulder, and Jesus is up in the tree with me. So I look at Jesus and I say, Jesus loves the little children, right? And he's laughing and he says, yes. So I think, oh, okay. So then I'll go back to my singing. And then I get to thinking, did, did he really, say, is that really what he said? So I go back and I say, I'm still a little child, right? He says, yes, and he's laughing harder. So then I woke up. And I realized it was a Sunday morning, and I woke up singing and laughing, and I thought, all right, it's time for you to claim your voice. You've been, been denying it all this year. Even Jesus loves it, for pity's sakes. Claim your voice. And so it was that specific thing made shook me enough that I woke up and, and said, yes, I will. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful story, and I'm so glad that you had that dream. And and going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, when, when I was asking you about like what you think you may have worried about in your 20s and 30s and 40s that you wish you wouldn't have, is the message there that you think that people shouldn't be should be concerned with making sure that they speak up for themselves and that they do have a voice and that they stop you know worrying about what other people think of them? I really do. I I think. It's kind of our job this lifetime to figure out who we really are and what our place in, is in, in the universe because I think each one of us have a special place. No one else can fit into this place or that place that you're in. It's like that big jigsaw puzzle of the world, you know? We each have our own piece and we either acknowledge it and fit into it or fight about it and, and uh, try to get into somebody else's place. It doesn't fit. It's so well said. And you're somebody that's, you're so wise. You're, you're so smart. You're very well articulated. And I'm just curious, given that, like we said, like you're, you're over 102 years old. And a lot of times people like let themselves go as they get older and they just assume, okay, this is towards the end of my life. I'm going to stop working on myself. I'm going to stop doing things. And then they start to they they start to deteriorate. What have been some of the things that you've done on a regular basis, whether it's every single day or weekly, that have helped you have that have helped keep your mind fresh? Well, I I train trained myself early on to look for for humor in life because I watched what my mother did, and that's been a saving grace. My mother could find some little thing to turn around and it would be a laughter it would bring a laugh so anyway i i think that's a very good example for people if you if you if you can find somebody that can make you laugh and you could go along with that it's it's a very good thing 
But besides that, I've never, I, I think I tried a cigarette once and I threw it away and, and I don't really like alcohol, I, I suppose. It just, I have no interest in that. I do like some chocolate so I can have a little bit of chocolate. <laughs> I'm not a fanatic about diet, but I think it should be as fresh as it can be and free of the other stuff that we do that we do to food to make it <laughs> not what it needs to be, you know, just plain common sense. But then again, it has to be something that I choose to do and that I choose to like. Because if you are hating what you're eating because somebody said that's what you should eat, it, it doesn't do very much for your body to take it in and say, ooh, this is bad. If you're sitting at a, pl a plate of food that you has been prescribed for you and you've decided that it is something that you have to eat and you're eating it and and say all the time while you're eating it, 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 it ain't going to do very much good for you. On the other hand, if you have something and you like what it is and you bless it when you take it in and eat what's available to you. I grew up in India where people were starving all around me. Food is food, and I'm grateful for food. So I'm not a proponent that any one diet is the one that helps everybody. I have a son who actually can't eat garlic. Well, the rest of our family in India, you don't eat garlic. I mean, come on. It's it's something that he he doesn't do. I like a balanced diet, something that I wake up in the morning and I have raisin bran and, and prunes and and milk and, and a cup of coffee and just ordinary stuff, which I seem happen to like and, and it suits me and and I bless it when I eat it and, and it works. What does your exercise routine look like these days? I have a walker. I have to have a walker because I can't see well. <laughs> so I walk 3,800 feet a day on my walker. I, I record that. I don't always make it, but that's my, that's my goal. And for my 200 and what is it, third bicep that just had, yeah, I rode onto the stage on a, a tricycle. And that's a really nice thing. It's very balanced and very easily done. But right now, I'm not doing it. It's too hot in Arizona, 116 outside. I don't think I'm going to be riding my tricycle. You do what you can do at the time where you are. You brought up that laughter has been an important thing that has helped you live as long as that you as long as you have, and that it's really helped take care of yourself. Helped you take care of yourself. What makes you smile and laugh these days? Well, I don't know what doesn't make me smile and laugh because I think life is a hoot. You know, there's so many things that are happening and and it's pretty much always been that way. My grandmother, when we came over from India when I was two and my grandmother was German and she had come over in, after the war and she took me with her down into the basement and she was washing clothes and I was sitting there and I guess I was babbling away and talking 
And she looks at me, she says, do bobble sufil. And I picked up and I said, do bobble sufil yourself. So, I mean, I was two years old. That's been a family joke. It's that I came into life looking for life and I'm still doing it. You know, it's there. It's, it's so beautifully said. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people, they're unhappy in life. And I think a lot of times it's because they're focusing on the wrong things. You mentioned that, you know, right now it's like, when are you not smiling? When are you not laughing? Because you feel that life is a hoot to, to quote you. What have you found that you think that people based on your, your own life experience, people that you've talked to, what have you found that people spend way too much time on that really doesn't, that they, what do you think people waste their time on as far as things that they, they're doing that they think is going to make them happy? It's their own personal thing. Let me tell another story because it illustrates this. My sister and I were in our 90s and we were talking and we'd do this and we'd say something else and we'd do that. And all of a sudden we both stopped and looked at each other and we said, why do we do this? And we, we didn't know. So we thought about it and we said, who did that? Who, who was doing that all the time? We said, oh, mama did it. Okay, mama did it. Well, what, what did she do when she did that? Oh, it was Kuchpurwani, which means in Hindustani, it doesn't matter. In other words, things would happen and we would take, it. Would, we had the option. If somebody said something like, those are ugly earrings or what, you know, something, I could take that in personally and say, that hurt my feelings. Or... I could just switch for one and dump it off, and I don't even know that it happened. But it's that ability to have things and decide on the moment as to whether you're going to take it in as a as a, a injury or you're going to let it go, because sometimes the injuries that are coming at you are totally not just sometimes, a lot of the times, they're totally unnecessary. It's, it's the way we heard it, the way we thought about it, and the way we took it in, and it hurt. And then we keep it in there, and we maybe we don't like that person or whatever, you know, that whole issue can start and build up on something that absolutely does not matter. So it's the ability to take things as they come and, and in the moment decide whether it matters or it doesn't or taking it in and really working with it. And if you did take it in, then you can look at it and say, well, you know, that's really stupid. That, that doesn't matter. And then you can let it go. But it's a choice as to what we focus on for for the juice in our lives, the thing that gives us the thing that we want to keep going on. And I think this kind of, this gets into one of your other secrets for longevity. And so far we've touched on all life needs to move. We've touched on love is the medicine. And this one is everything is your teacher. Like, why, why do you think that it's imp really important for people to have this type of perspective on life when it comes to like living healthier and happier? I think that our whole focus in medicine would change if we could ch look at it differently. 
because I don't think that we are punished by having diseases. I think that, or, you know, I think that they're there. If we have a disease, it's what our body is telling us is there and what we can do about it. It's, it's, the disease becomes our lesson. It's maybe not the disease itself, but the aspect of that disease. It, it, it's the way medicine has focused totally on getting rid of disease and killing bacteria and eradicating pain. And if we try to really focus all of our energy on the process of getting rid of something that is there, and it's basically one of our teachers, we're, we're, we, we're in trouble. My eldest son is a retired orthopedic surgeon, okay? He came through Phoenix ready to start his practice in Del Rio, Texas. And he said to me, Mom, you know, I have all of this training in orthopedics. And I'm telling you, orthopedic training is really important. And I'm saying this for myself and for him too. And, I, and he said, but I'm, I'm really scared to go into practice because I'm going to have people's lives in my hands. And I said to him, well, Carl, if you think you're the one that does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that it's your job to do this amazing work called orthopedic surgeon, which has helped millions of people, it's a really important technique. And then you support the patient's physician within them as your colleague and love that aspect of the patient enough that you actually turn the healing over to that person and you become consultants so that when you tell your patient that this is what you think should be done or what you have done and that patient understands it and takes it in and begin and does what they're saying you have a healing process going on but if 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 you don't even communicate what it is with the patient if you don't care about the patient if you're just doing your your whatever your your practice you know whichever part of medicine is your practice without really taking paying attention to the patient really really feeling what the pay feeling something about that patient then you have a right to be scared because it, it, it the healing isn't that's where the all the mild practice suits come in and all of that not all of them, but you know. And this dovetails into one of your other longevity secrets, which is that you are here for a reason, right? You touched on purpose as it pertains to your, your son's profession. A lot of people are, they're just searching for purpose. They're searching for their meaning in life. What is your advice to people who feel they haven't, they haven't found why they're here on earth yet? Choose where you're searching. Look what you're searching for. Try to figure out, try to think th through what it is that you're doing that's keeping you from it. You know, what, you, as you look for, if you don't look for the light, you never see it. If you don't look for sunshine and joy, you won't see it. It's, it's a matter of what you choose and what your 
choice where your choice leads you to what you do see so that you can do that it's 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 really when when we're stuck someplace it's so dark it can be that it's just you think you you just will never get out of this place i understand that and and it really is a dark dark place but in your in your inner being you're looking for something that's different from that that's brighter than that that's or you or you hear somebody say something and you say oh now that's something or you happen to see a, a child a baby smile and all of a sudden there's light in this world i mean it depends on what you, what it is that you're looking for if you're looking for help if you're looking for pulling yourself out of this dark place you'll find it but you, you it doesn't happen necessarily just when you choose to just all of a sudden sometimes it takes a long time to actually find it before you can really say yeah that's that's what it is but you know if you if you've been looking for it and looking for it and you and you can't, haven't found it keep looking keep looking my dad i i can see him right now his black eyes i'd be playing along if i gave or did something and he would look at me and say are you a quitter oh man that was as bad as saying are you a liar i mean <laughs> it was jerked me up and oh no 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 i'm not a quitter so it depends on whether we're good going to quit just because we got stuck someplace or we're going to keep on looking until we find what it is that helps us out how has your purpose changed over the years it's grown deeper it's got my eyesight is very poor because of glaucoma and cataracts and one thing and another but there my insight has gotten better so it's my purpose is that i've still got work to do i i'm dreaming of a village for living medicine where where people who step on the ground start healing that life itself is the healing process and the people who come there are looking for that so that you have a community of people who are looking for the same things you're looking for and you 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 have a community that is helping mother earth as well as each other at growing growing into wellness you see i i i'm calling aging aging into health it doesn't have to age into disease if you look for aging into health you find where the health lies and in my eyes it it lies in the inside not in the things i can see i could listen to audiobooks that i could you know i would always be reading before i can i can do things differently in order to get the things that i'm looking for i love your purpose I, i'm so inspired by how you continue to want to grow and evolve and and get deeper in that Going back to the longevity secret around love, you talked about like how you're growing and, and evolving deeper and what your your mission and your purpose is. I know a big part of what you talk about with love is self-love. And I would love to know what does self-love mean to you? 
We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Just Thrive. I have covered the topic of gut health extensively on the show and why it is so important to have a healthy microbiome. 80 to 90% of Americans suffer from some type of gut issue and 70 to 80% of your immune system is in the gut. And while cleaning up your diet and managing your stress should be at the foundation of addressing your gut health, a probiotic can certainly be very beneficial. When buying a probiotic, you want to be sure that you get one that actually works and delivers on their promises. Research shows that 99.9% of them die in your stomach acid before they reach your gut. That's where Just Thrive Probiotics stands out from the crowd. Their proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proven to arrive 100% alive in your gut, unlike other probiotics that die on the way. But that's not all. Their probiotics have more clinical research than any other products on the market and are proven to work. So if you are tired of struggling with gut issues like gas, bloating, and indigestion, look no further than Just Thrive Probiotics. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off your first 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic. So visit JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Again, it's JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Now back to the show. The physician within you, for one thing, you know, that aspect that is within us that knows what healing is about and what and what what works for healing for us i i have patients that i i call my living medicine examples i have this one woman she just died a, a month ago and in i she, she was 70 yeah she was 78 she had lived all of her life with one quarter of one kidney that's not possible. And all of us doctors who have worked with her during those years knew that, that she had one quarter of one kidney. Now, how she did that, nobody knows. She really didn't quite know how to do it, how she did it, except that if she had some issue that came up, and somebody, a doctor or somebody else, gave her a, a solution or a medication or something, and her body said no, she didn't take it. She didn't do it. She actually backed away from it. So she became a non-compliant patient. But her non-compliance is what saved her life because she was paying attention to what did work, not what didn't. And so if we can love ourselves enough that we can trust that inner knowing of what, what really works for us and, and go that way instead of what we, you know, just maybe heard and thought it was a good idea or maybe we're told by a, a physician who had every reason to tell us that, but in our, in our body, it wouldn't work. You know, it's, it's that respect for ourselves and for our own being and trusting it that allows us to really stand up and set our boundaries and take our direction and, and do the things that we really feel need to be done, why we came here. It's so well said. And I know that 
another closely related closely related subject to self-love is the people that you spend time with and, and making sure that you're spending time with the the right types of of people what do relationships mean to you like now at this stage of your life they're pivotal if i didn't have this son who's here now who's a psychologist who's spending the next month with me so that my second son who is retired Presbyterian minister and has spent the last two years with me because he he was retired from the ministry and he'll be coming back. You know, we have a community here that uh, I live in the backyard of my, sister, my daughter's home. My daughter is a physician I practiced medicine with and her husband is a retired Greek chef and he is a gardener and all of that, you know, life is is there to be lived and, and enjoyed. And it's, uh, you either see it and you enjoy it and work with it and, and rejoice in it, or you sit in your car like I did when I got the divorce and screaming at God and everybody else until you get the message done. done the message comes down that, this is the life, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I latched on to that last be glad and changed my license plate on my car to be glad. So the rest of the time I was driving around Phoenix, I was saying to the people behind me, be glad. I mean, it's stupid things like that, but those are teachers. There's a lot of talk about like longevity and happiness and when people get to the end of their life that relationships you know truly are the most important thing throughout the course of their life and that if people could go back in time they would spend more time with loved ones and friends and people that they care about i know you touched on the fact that at this point in your life relationships are so pivotal and everything to you knowing what you know now and living the life that you've lived do you feel that that same theme, what I just mentioned, that relationships and friendships are really valuable throughout the course of people's lives and people should do what they can to spend time with people they care about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because why? You know, if, if you're spending time with somebody who uh, doesn't like you and you don't like them, that's so you, there are times when you have to do that because life is that way. But if your choice is somebody who really, you you can feel that, that you connect with, you know, the, there's that actual ability to connect with people and know that you're, it's the right thing to do to be, spend time with this person. Sometimes it's because you're helping them and sometimes it's because they're helping you because we're in it together. And if it's, if it's a mutual process, then that's a, wow, that's a glowing, growing thing. But if it's, if it's if, you know, you don't want to just be one way. You need it a two-way street. And it becomes that if you look at it that way and that's what you're looking for. A lot of times people especially when they're going through challenging times, they, they feel alone. And 
the the fifth longevity secret that we're going to get into it's called you are never truly alone what is your advice to people maybe they're listening to this right now or they're watching it with us that they just feel alone right now in life and they feel like that they don't have anybody that they can turn to how long has it been since you've really looked to see if anybody around you was looking like you feel or is there somebody that really could use your help? Or is there something that you can hear that jerks you up and all of a sudden you think, oh, I'm not alone. You know, I walked into the grocery store the other day and, no, I didn't walk into the grocery store the other day. It's been a little while since I did that. But I came into the grocery store and there was a mother carrying a small baby, that that little baby looked at me and I looked at him and he grinned and I grinned and I thought, wow, what a good day. You know, it's the ability to, to connect where you can. If, you, if you're not looking for it, you don't see it. You absolutely don't see it because it's not there for you. When you start looking for it, wow, <laughs> it's lots of places and unexpected places. And sometimes there's these unexpected blessings that come from hard times. Would have been, would have been some unexpected blessings that have come, would have been some unexpected blessings that you've experienced at a time in your life where you were feeling pretty challenged by life. Well, the biggest one was the divorce. I mean, I handled the two cancers better than I did that. I had, I've had other illnesses that, I've, that I handled a lot better than I did that. I mean, that really shifted my universe. I mean, everything that I had thought that I was doing and was supposed to be doing, Bill and I, we had created all this amazing life together. And then he asked for a divorce, and I felt like I'd been thrown into the wild something or other, you know. It was, it totally removed everything that I had tried to believe. And it took all of my juice to pull myself back to looking for what it was that I really believed. Because it, 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 it threw me into a dark space that, I mean, I was, it was awful. The inner core within me didn't give up. And I heard the be glad. It, it's the knowing that there is more to life than what you see at the time. And if you're looking for it, you'll find it. It may take a while, but you'll find it. Don't stop looking. Don't don't give up. Are we a quitter? You know, I I'm not a quitter, and so it's that ability to keep going when it looks like nobody cares and nobody wants and nobody and nobody. You know, and then all of a sudden there's somebody. How long ago was this? The divorce? Oh, thirty years. You mentioned that you have overcome cancer and overcome other illnesses and overcome so much in your life. 
like why do you think the divorce specifically was the thing that was the most difficult for you? Because it was so unexpected. I totally believed in what Bill and I were doing and what we had done. We had created the ARE clinic. We created the concept of holistic medicine. We had these six children who, who were awesome. You know, to me, life is the way it was supposed to be. And then all of a sudden it wasn't. It just pulled the foundation right out from under me. So it was something that I just absolutely could not have imagined happening in my life. And there it was. And you mentioned that as dark as it was, as hard as it was for you, that you just kept going. You didn't quit. You no, didn't give I up couldn't. on yourself. Yeah. You kept, you kept moving forward. And as you look back now, or as you look back on this now, what was the silver lining in that for you? Like, what was some of the good that came from that difficult situation? I found my own voice. I'd always depended on, validated. I found my own voice and realized that, and then, you know, then my daughter and I started our own practice and we had a really wonderful practice and we were able to, and, you know, and life went on. I reconnected. My patients followed me and we, so we had practice, you know, it was, it was okay, but I had to, see, that's why it was such a great teacher, because I had to get to the point where I thought, not just thought, I actually realized and, and admitted that my voice was important, and that what I said was worth saying and worth having people hear, and, and, and I stepped up then as an individual, not as Bill and Gladys. You know, I was not that, that, that team which I had depended so much on. And then he wasn't there. So you mentioned that the biggest blessings that came from that was, even though one part of your business and life obviously, you know, ended, you were able to start this practice with your daughter, you found your own voice. And we talked at the beginning that I, I asked you, what's your biggest lesson that you've learned? And you said that, you know, love heals all, like love is the ultimate healer, right? How did you use love at that time where I can imagine you were pretty emotionally broken to, to heal yourself and, and, and bounce back? Well, it, it, I didn't, I chose to, to the be glad thing, you know, and that got me started. But it was a long time after that that I really began to understand what, what I was working towards. And that was, I guess I was in my 80s and I realized, I, I woke up one night and I was going through my poor me's and what I'd lost. And all of a sudden I stopped and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that's, that's what happened then. But what do you have? What did you, what did you gain when you and Bill were together? What did you actually create when you and Bill were together? What were the great things you did? We climbed the pyramid together. We did, you know, and I began going over the amazing lives that we had had together. And I thought, oh, okay, I don't really 
regret one moment that I spent with Bill McGarry. And then he took a vacation. So that's not my business. That's his. And I'm going on with what, what it was that we created, that we worked with, that I enjoyed that part of, the, of my life. And it was wonderful. And I can look back on those memories. I call it memory lane. And if I have a night when I'm not sleeping, I can conjure up memory lane. And boy, can I have a good time. And it's, it's a matter of, of realizing that I have a choice as to whether I'm going to hang on to the pain that went with that divorce or the joy and the actual life love that I ha had experienced prior to that and still am experiencing. It's my choice. So beautifully said. And this flows into the sixth and last longevity secret, which is spend your energy wildly even if you're 102, right? With that said, what does the day-to-day -day look like for you? Like other than, you know, sharing your story, sharing your wisdom on podcasts like this, what, what do you do on a daily basis? <laughs> you know, this book has changed all of that. <laughs> well, I, I get up, I go to the bathroom, I eat my breakfast, raisin bread and prunes and, and coffee, a cup of coffee. I may have a if I'm with friends, I may have another cup of coffee. but And then I do what I, has to be done that day. And it comes around, it changes people. I have people that I make phone calls to. But since this book has come out, <laughs> my life has completely changed because who would imagine I'd be talking to you? I mean, who are you? Who am I? Who? How does this happen? All of these things have happened in my lifespan, and here we are. You've, you've got headphones on, I've got headphones on, and we're talking to each other and smiling at each other. And life is a hoot. It's just really something that's, I don't think it's going to end right now. Life is a hoot, and it's so cool that we're like talking to each other, and it is wild how all this plays out. And I think it's really amazing that the book has, tr has, tr has transformed your life in the way that it has. And I'm sure it's obviously helped a lot of other people as well. As, as far as how we spend our energy, what advice do you have for people regarding like what really matters in life? Like how should people be spending their energy? Well, I have the five L's that kind of put a foot, have a, a foundation that I can stand on and help explain some things. The first two, First two are love and life. They have to go together. Life does not, it can't even express itself without love. You, you can be a seed in the Great Pyramid for 5,000 years and nothing happens until love in the form of, of sunlight and, and, and water and so on activates it and cracks the seed. And then life can begin to connect with love and grows so but that love and life are one one unit like the sperm and the ovum but it takes one to do to activate the other the third one is love is laughter laughter without love is cruel it's mean it it, it hurts people families feel split apart because of it but 
laughter with love is happiness and joy. The fourth one is labor. Labor without love is drudgery. You got to drag on to to work. Uh, too many diapers. Yeah. I had another day. Really, really hard. But labor with love is bliss. It's why you do what you do. It's why I do what I'm doing. It's why a singer sings, why a painter paints. I mean, this is what makes your heart alive. So labor, and, and we work twice as hard with the things that we <laughs> that I call bliss than we would if we were dragging ourselves to another day of work. So that, that's, and the fifth one is listening. Listening without love is an empty sound. We have to communicate with each other by listening to each other and by talking to each other and by making things understood because once we start listening with love is understanding. We then begin to understand each other. And these five L's have helped me to kind of create a foundation for which makes sense to me. The five L's. I love them. It's definitely a great place for people to start if they're trying to look at how they can lay a good solid foundation on how they spend their time and energy, both wildly and wisely. What is your view on forgiveness? I know a lot of people, they hold on to resentments towards family members, towards friends, towards people that they care about, towards people maybe they don't care about. What are your thoughts on the on forgiveness? Well, I try to add to my prayers. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to forgive this person because it's my choice as to whether I forgive them or not. And so if I'm going to forgive somebody, then I'm, I'm grateful for that. If I'm having trouble getting to that point, I keep working towards it to get to the point where I can forgive that person as much as I can. And if, if I can't totally forgive them for something, then put it in the perspective of what else is going on with, with the relationship, because it's not just that. It's, it's how I, depending on what's happening with that relationship. But the person isn't always a bad person. They may have done something that was not right for us, for them to have done, and they may be continue to be that kind of a person. But that's not who I am, and I really don't have to carry that load with me. I mean, that, that's some baggage that can be carried by that person themselves. I don't have to reach over and say, look, give me that load of stuff because that's where I'm headed. I may want to help them to carry their load so that it won't be so bad, but that's another whole issue. The whole problem of taking on another person's pain so that you can hurt bad, I don't want to do that. Well, Dr. Gladys, this has been phenomenal. I wanted to thank you so much for your time and for everything that you're doing and congratulations to you on everything. Truly, it's, you're, you're quite the inspiration. 
if people want to to buy a copy of your book, if they want to connect with you further, where's the best place to do that? Well, they can write to Amazon. You know, it's Gladys McGarry. It's available <laughs> all around. You know, it's in bookstores and stuff. The book. <laughs> the well-lived life. I would be sure to include the link of where to buy the book in the, the show notes of the episode. And use GladysMcGarry.com. She's right. That's my son. Okay. Yeah, I will include the link to that. And then I will, I'll put your website, GladysMcGarry.com, in the show notes. Dr. Gladys, thank you so much for, for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.